All right? You right? Lovely to see you. It's been, a, it's been a little while since I've been up here for the whole service, because normally I'm more at 5.02, but today I'm here for the whole thing, not rushing off after us to go down there. So I know some of you have been around for a few weeks, so I still haven't met properly, so I'm hoping I can catch up with some of you who've been around for a while who haven't yet met. So great to be here for the whole thing this morning. And um, today, of course, clock's gone forward, the sun is out, uh, it's Mother's Day, it feels like a celebration of life, which it is. And, you know, there have been huge advances in the quality of human life over the last century or so. And I, and I love to talk about this because normally we think very gloomily about the state of the world, but actually there's so much which is amazing. Um, think about the fact that most of us in this room will be able to read the Bible. And uh, that actually is extraordinary. In 1800, only 12% of the world's population could read. Now only 15% of the world's population can't read. Just extraordinary, the growth in the rates of literacy. Or think about uh, how actually poverty has been pushed back the whole time. In 1820, 94% of people in the world lived in extreme poverty. Today, 90% don't. Most people in the world are not living in extreme poverty in a way that almost everybody was 200 years ago, 100 years ago. Um, 500 years ago, the life expectancy in the UK was only 35 uh, by 1960, that had increased to 71, and by 2012, that had increased to 81. I actually read something in the paper yesterday that uh, people, children being born now, a third of them will make it to their 100th birthday. Life expectancy is just being stretched out all the time. Even in a, a country like India, which you might think of as having kind of a shorter life, in 1960, the average life expectancy was only 41. By 2012, it was up to 66. There's been this extraordinary global change in education, in increased prosperity, and in extended life expectancy. Now, these are huge figures. They can be a little bit difficult to, to grapple with. So narrow it down a little bit more. Think about child mortality. In 1800, 200 years ago, 43% of children died within the first five years of life. By 2015, 95% were surviving the first five years of life. An extraordinary increase in child survival rates. Even that is a bit big to get your hand, head around though. So uh, we're going to talk about a single disease, a, a, a nasty picture coming up on the screen. Warning, guinea worm. Uh, the guinea worm is a particularly nasty parasite, but it's about to be eradicated. Um, it's a parasitic worm which is caught by drinking infected water, and the cycle is that somebody who's infected and has one of these worms goes into water, and then people drink from the water where they've been, and the cycle goes round and round. And uh, these worms can grow up to a metre long over the course of a year and then break out of the body like this, extraordinarily painful, uh, completely debilitating, massive economic effect because you can't go to school and study, you can't work if you're infected with guinea worms, you're just in too much of a mess and too much pain. Now, 30 years ago, 3.5 million people a year were infected with guinea worm in Africa and Asia. Uh, last year, there were 25 cases. It's gone 3.5 three million people a year to 26. And that's happened more or less just simply by teaching people to drink filtered water and getting people who are infected with guinea worm not to go near water sources. It's been pretty, a pretty simple program, but a huge impact. And all around us, we see life breaking out. Let's get rid of the guinea worm picture. Some nice daffodils there for 
much more pleasant. Life is breaking out all over the place. It's extraordinary. The progress that has been made in education and prosperity and life expectancy and public health over the last 100, 200 years, the world is just a very different place. But we know there is a flip side to that. And we see the flip side in something like the battle for Mosul, which is going on at the moment with huge numbers of people displaced from that city and horrors being perpetrated. And we've seen similar scenes in Aleppo and Raqqa and Damascus. And we hear now about the famine in Sudan and Somalia. And this week we saw the incident in Westminster. And we know, we know there's all kinds of amazing things which are happening in the world, breakthroughs in improving the quality of human life. But there is always this flip side of things which are very wrong and very broken and very evil and very painful and very sad. And the story that we're going to look at in the Bible today deals with that kind of tension. And uh, I've called today's talk Certainty in an Uncertain World because... The world, for all the great things about it and all the great things that are happening, often does feel very uncertain. And we're going to be looking at uh, Luke 21. You can follow along in your Bibles if you want to. The, the verses will also be appearing up on the screen. And um, let me just give you the context for those of you who haven't been around the last few weeks or those of you who haven't have short memories. Um, <laughs> Uh, we have been, uh, we, we've been looking at the, at the Gospel of Luke and we, we've just picked it up from the story of Jesus entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, which actually in where it's coming is it's two weeks' time is Palm Sunday, just three weeks to, to Easter. Uh, but we started the story looking at the account of Jesus coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. It's the last week of Jesus' life on earth before the events of Easter, before the crucifixion and the resurrection. And it begins with this scene of Jesus being on a, a, a little hill called the Mount of Olives, just outside Jerusalem, overlooks Jerusalem, and Jesus comes down from the Mount of Olives with his disciples, and he's cheered to the rafters by the crowds. They throw down their cloaks, they put down palm leaves in front of him. He rides a little donkey into Jerusalem. He comes into Jerusalem being cheered as king. And then that amazing kind of entry into the city of Jerusalem is followed by a, a series of, of power plays as different members of the Jerusalem establishment seek to try and work out who Jesus is and try and expose him for being less than he is. They, they want to show him up and trip him up and trick him, and they come to him with all kinds of hostile and difficult questions. And each time they do that, Jesus demonstrates his authority. He's able to answer their questions. He actually silences them. They come to the place where they can't ask any more questions. He demonstrates his authority as he teaches in the temple, he demonstrates he's got a greater authority than the establishment in Jerusalem. And then this part of the story ends, a closing scene, which we were looking at last week, where a poor widow comes and puts a tiny offering into the temple offering uh, reception collect. Uh, uh, I don't know, baskets have these trumpet-shaped receptacles in the temple forecourt, and she puts two tiny copper coins in, and Jesus commends her for her wholehearted worship and love of God. And actually, that's a great story for Mother's Day, that whatever your status in life, what God is looking for is our hearts, whether you are a mum with children at home, whether you're a poor widow, whatever your status in life, what's God, what God is interested in is the state of your heart. And when we get to next in the story is this, that the uncertainty, the uncertainty of things we think are certain. 
Because having looked at this example of the poor widow who gave all she had in an act of worship and trust and love for God, Jesus kind of shifts the story along. And rather than responding to the questions of the Jerusalem establishment, he launches into a a lengthy warning about what is going to happen to Jerusalem. And he speaks about the way in which Jerusalem will be destroyed. And that was an incident that was to happen about 35 years later in AD 70 when the Roman legions came and besieged and destroyed Jerusalem. And uh, Jesus says this, Luke 21 Verse 5. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. People are looking at the temple. It's the Passover feast. There's lots of people in the temple in Jerusalem for the feast. And they look at the magnificence of the temple and they say, look how good this is. Look how impressive this is. And Jesus says to them, it's coming to an end. You need to be ready. Even this temple, which looks so impressive and so good now, even this will not last forever. And Jesus is warning the people with him at that point in time, in that particular place. But it's a warning that stands for all time to all of us about where we find our security and where we find our certainty. That in our search for security, we need to make sure we're taking the right option. You're putting it in the right place. This warning that Jesus gives that you think the temple looks impressive now, but wait a few years, it's going to, look, it's going to be a pile of rubble. And it's a bit like the, before the financial crash in 2008, trusting in the banks. Look what has happened. Things crumble and things collapse. Jesus told another story about this. He told a story about a man who built his house upon a rock and another man who built his house upon the sand. And when a storm came, the house on the rock stood and the house on the sand was washed away. And this is the point. Put your thing in the thing, put your trust in the thing which is certain, not temporary. But it's not just Jerusalem that's not so solid as it looks. It's not just our own personal securities that we seek to lay hold of. Jesus bundles up this warning about what's going to happen to Jerusalem with warnings about what is going to happen to the whole world. Not only is the temple not as certain as it looks, but it is certain that the world itself is uncertain. He says this in verse 10. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. What Jesus is saying is, look, this is the shape of the world. What we see happening in Mosul at the moment, what we see happening in the Sudan at the moment, what we saw on Westminster Bridge this week. Actually, this is the normal pattern of the world. Uncertainty is normal, is what Jesus warns us. And what is the explanation for that? What is the explanation for the uncertainty of the world? The fact that These things always seem to happen, as Jesus warned. Wars happen and famines happen and earthquakes happen. What is the reason for that? The Bible tells a story to explain it. It's actually a a contrasting story with the story that often we would tell. The the secular story of our society is that there is this uh, 
inevitable evolutionary chain of progress. Actually, there's some of the things I've spoken about in terms of improving education and improving healthcare and lengthening of life. Well, that's because humans are evolving and eventually we'll work out our problems and we'll live in a world where we have managed to fix things. The Bible tells a very different story. What Jesus tells us is that isn't the inevitable trajectory of the human race for things just to get better and better. Actually, what we expect is famines and wars and difficulties because... The human race has rebelled against God and has, 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 in effect, kind of skewered the whole system. That in our determination to follow our desires rather than the instructions of the maker, we have kind of shoved a spanner into the whole works, which guarantees that despite our best efforts, there will be wars and there will be famines and there will be these difficult things. We think about the context in which Jesus gave this warning. Jesus is... He's in Jerusalem and he's in the temple. This is, this is the most important place in the world. This is God's land, God's people, God's temple. This is the place where God dwells. But Jesus says, even this place is going to get leveled. Not one stone will be left upon another. Jesus, why is that going to happen? He tells us, he says, says, he uses the expression, it's the time of the Gentiles. It's the time of those who oppose God. And what Jesus warns is that even the people of Jerusalem, this is meant to be God's people, God's place, God's land, God's temple, even there, those who are meant to know God and represent him actually are rebelling against him and rejecting him. That's what the Jerusalem establishment are doing. That's what they're doing in their questioning of Jesus and seeking to trick him and trip him up. The people who are meant to know God and represent him actually are rejecting him. And then the arrogant Romans who also reject God, they're going to come and lay siege to Jerusalem and they're going to tear it down stone by stone. It is the time of the Gentiles. It's the time of those who reject and oppose God. And that's the normal pattern of the world. That's how the world continues. People who oppose and reject God and keep shoving the spanner deeper into the works of the mechanism, ensuring it keeps breaking down. Now, we can fix our problems, but there's another problem coming. ISIS will be defeated. Mosul will be liberated. But somebody else will fill the gap. There'll be other terrorist groups. There'll be other atrocities that come. That is the normal pattern of the world. There's a kind of entropy about human life that there is a tendency for things always to spin out towards corruption and conflict and chaos. And we have to work really hard to prevent that, to have political systems which are not corrupt and where things are done relatively harmoniously and honestly takes huge effort. It requires incredibly robust institutions and checks and balances. It's the kind of thing that in the Western world we have fought for and developed over centuries, but it is still fragile because the way of the world is for things to spin out into corruption and chaos and conflict. One of our deepest needs as human beings is for a sense of security. To live with a sense of insecurity, or another word, fear, is exhausting. If you're living with a sense the whole time of feeling insecure, that is an emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically debilitating way to live. If you live with that kind of anxiety permanently, 
insecurity. It's, it's, it's uh, degrading to the human spirit. And if we can't find a sense of security, we are in deep trouble as human beings. But how can we find a sense of security in a world where uncertainty is certain? In a world where wars happen and famines happen and somebody with a car can drive along a bridge and kill a bunch of people. How can we find security in a world where uncertainty is certain? Now, Jesus' words speak to us directly about this. Jesus actually says that the uncertainty points to a greater certainty. Let's listen to what he says, verse 29. He told them a parable. He told them a story. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the Mount of Olives, the mount called Olivet, and early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Jesus tells a story to help us understand what is going on in the world and to explain the tension in the world. He says, look at the fig tree. Look at the fig tree. This is an appropriate story for Mother's Day because the trees are coming out into leaf. I've got a fig tree in a pot outside my front door and the first leaf is just beginning to emerge this morning. It's a good story for this time of year. Look at the trees. When it's winter, it can feel like winter is lasting forever. You know how it is, January, February, this is going on forever. Will it ever end? It feels just this is how life is now. And you look at the trees. My fig trees look very dead the last three or four months. You, this, is, this is just how it is. Everything is dead. But then suddenly the leaf starts to come and you say, hey, summer is on its way. Summer is just around the corner. And the point that Jesus is making with this story is that the troubles of the world now, the wars and the famines and the tendency for things to spin into chaos and corruption and, and conflict, those things actually point to the certainty of the coming of God's kingdom. That just as when I see the first fig leaf coming out of my fig tree, I can anticipate summer coming. I can anticipate figs growing. I can anticipate in August, if the blackbirds don't get them first, there will be figs for me to eat. Jesus says, look, these things that are happening in the world, they're actually the sign that the kingdom of God is coming. When everything will be different, everything will be changed. And Jesus is the one who speaks the truth. What he says is going to come to pass. And at the moment, it might not look like it. We look at the troubles of the world and we can say, well, are things really going to change? Is the kingdom of God really going to break in? Are things going to be made different and new and all these troubles be dealt with and swept away? Because at the moment, it doesn't look like it. And Jesus says, look, it's like a tree in winter. It looks dead and then suddenly, bang, one spring morning, the leaf appears and everything changes. 
And in an uncertain world, the certainty that we can lay hold of is Jesus Christ, the rock. Now, everyone has a stronghold in their life. Everybody has something they try and grab hold of. Everybody has something they try and stand on which is firm and reliable. For the Jews in Jerusalem, it was a temple. Look at this building. Isn't it magnificent? Isn't it good? Isn't it amazing? Isn't it strong? 35 years later, the Romans would come and tear it stone from stone. And we might not have a temple like that, but there can be things in our lives which we think of in the same same way. Look at this. Isn't it good? Isn't it reliable? Isn't it safe? Isn't it secure? And then we might find it actually is torn down stone by stone. We need to get to the right stronghold. One of my favorite Bible verses is in the prophet Zechariah. He says this, Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. I love that verse. There's this picture of God speaking to his people and saying, There is a stronghold. There's a safe place. There is a rock on which you can stand. Actually, you're, you're to be held so secure, you're kind of imprisoned by it. You're imprisoned by hope. And that is a wonderful picture. Rather than being imprisoned by insecurity, imprisoned by fear, or imprisoned by trying to hold on to something which you think is strong and will get swept away when the storm comes, you're a prisoner of hope because this stronghold will never be swept away. This stronghold will never be torn down. And Jesus Christ is that stronghold. What I've found and what so many of us in this room have found is that he is the rock that does not shift. He's the fortress that does not budge. He's the one that cannot be torn down. He's the one that does not fade away. He's the one that doesn't spin out into chaos. He's the one who is sure and uncertain and unchanging and so, so good. And so we, we do need to live with certainty. Jesus' claim is this, that everything, heaven and earth, themselves will pass away, but his words remain. And it says in this account of this last week of Christ's life before the events of Easter weekend, it says that the people were coming to hear his words. Every, every day they were coming to hear his words. And we, we can find what is unshakable in the words of Christ. You know, there are so many other voices that sound in our ears. And there's other voices which can, they sound loud in our ears. There's that internal voice, all the things that we speak to ourselves the whole time, which are not always helpful and good and true. And there's the voices of, of the media. There's the voice of that program that you tend to watch, that particular news outlet you tend to rely on, that particular paper that you tend to read. There's all these voices that would speak into our ears and say this, this, this. And what we need to do, we need to be like the people who went out and listened to the words of Jesus. Because all those other words, all those other voices, all those other opinions, they'll pass. But the words of Jesus stand forever. And Jesus warns us here, he he warns us not to be weighed down either by dissipation or by cares. Two contrasting things. Dissipation is essentially partying. And cares is essentially worry. And, you know, those are the two most obvious strategies to cope with the uncertainty of life if you don't know Christ. The first strategy is dissipation. It's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And the second strategy is I'm just going to worry myself and worry myself and worry myself because the world is so worrying. And both are failed strategies. 
I mean, the eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die is a much more, to me, a much more appealing strategy than the worry strategy. At least you have some fun this way. But in the end, all you're left with is a hangover. And I see, I see it with my friends. I see at the stage of life I'm at now, I see it with my middle-aged friends who've tried to live more this way. And by the time they get to their mid-40s, 50s, it all begins to unravel. I see it in my friends whose relationships are unraveling and with their partners and relationships with their kids unraveling and just that sense of, of life beginning to kind of fracture and fray that the eat, drink, and be merry strategy doesn't, it can't sustain you. It's a false foundation. But also the strategy of just worrying about life is equally ineffective. Worrying and worrying it achieves nothing but more worry. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do the way of dissipation and don't do the way of the cares of the heart. A better way is to listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus says, stay awake. Be alert. I think Jesus would say to us, expect the unexpected. Expect the uncertain. You can be certain that the uncertain will happen. It's not, a, as people have told us so often in the last few years, like what happened in London this week, it was never a question of if, it was always a question of when. We were certain that the uncertain would happen. These things do happen. And Jesus said exactly the same thing 2,000 years ago. These things happen. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. But like leaves bursting out in the fig tree, these things actually point to the greater certainty that the kingdom of God is about to break in. And so Jesus tells us to stay awake, be alert, Watch what's happening in the world. See the signs. Look for the fig leaves. And he also tells us to pray. And the reason that we pray is that prayer strengthens us. When we, when we pray, we're going, to the, we're going to the source. We are going to the maker. We're going to the creator. We're going to the Lord of lords, the King of kings, God of gods. This uh, coming Friday morning, first Friday of the month, we gather to pray here, 7 o'clock in the morning. I'd encourage you to be here. We gather to Jesus. We come to pray. We come to listen to his words and, and establish ourselves on the rock that is Christ and lay hold of what is not passing but what is eternal. Because the way to live with uncertainty, the way to live in an uncertain world is by knowing God. It's by knowing him. We've called this, season, this series, Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Jesus is our certainty in uncertain times. Let's listen to our words. Let's take our stand on this rock. Let's believe in him and find our assurance that the kingdom of God really is breaking in. Grace is going to come and share. thought today, especially as it being Mother's Day, it would be good to hear a woman's account of this, so Grace is going to come and talk about how Jesus is her rock in an uncertain world. Thanks, Matt. That was so fantastic. He's actually left me nothing to say. Thank you for that. I think everything I've got down here, you've just already said. But <laughs> it's great, isn't it? When you do, we, didn't, we talked through a little bit about what he was going to be saying, and I went away and did my bit, and I've just listened to him and thought, oh, darn it, darn it, darn it, all the way through. Um, hi, I'm Grace. If you've not met me before, it's because I'm usually at 5.02. It's really lovely to see you all. Um, I've been thinking about um, how to talk to you about being certain as a mum in an uncertain world, and um, 
I said to Matt, um, am I certain? And he said, well, I don't know. And <laughs> so I thought I'd ask one of the kids, and uh, I asked one of my children, um, you know, how am I going to answer that question? And she very unhelpfully said, you tell me. If you can't be certain in an uncertain world, you shouldn't be saying anything. And I thought, great, okay. Not tremendously helpful, but probably true. Um, that actually that is the experience of parenting. There, I've had moments of tremendous uncertainty, but I've also uh, underpinning everything that, that I've been through as a parent, there's been tremendous certainty as well. And uh, it was interesting that Matt landed talking about a rock, because I really do know that Jesus is my rock. Um, I want to read you a poem that I cropped up this week while I was teaching, that um, it's called poem um, on to a daughter leaving home and I've got four kids one of whom has just left home and I think this poem brilliantly encapsulates um, the feeling of a mother who wants to be brave and let her children out into the world but at the same time is tr feeling tremendously um, tempted to micromanage um, it's it's called to a daughter leaving home when I taught you at eight to ride a bicycle loping along beside you as you wobbled away on two round wheels. My own mouth rounding in surprise when you pulled ahead down the curved path of the park. I kept waiting for the thud of your crash as I sprinted to catch up while you grew smaller, more breakable with distance, pumping, pumping for your life, screaming with laughter, the hair flapping behind you like a handkerchief waving goodbye and that that makes me sad because I think that mother is having a terrible time letting go and I think for me and maybe for you if you're a mum as well you feel that tremendous pain of watching a child potentially do something brave and reckless but also you're desperately afraid that they might hurt themselves and um, as I was reading that and I, I got all my kids to write their response to this poem. They were saying, oh, this mother, she just, she's controlling. She just, uh, for, this is a six, 16 year old boy's writing about it. She's controlling, she's, she's terrified and she's controlling and she just needs to let her go. Um, and, and this thing screaming with laughter that actually you hear your child scream with laughter and your first response is, what's wrong, what's wrong? Because you hear the scream and you think something's wrong. And I thought, oh gosh, that it just really spoke to me that I don't actually wanna be like her. I want to be cheering on the sidelines as my kids go and do amazing things and not panicking and actually trusting them to God. And I think the thing that makes the difference is where your perspective is. And I think I can honestly say that most of the time my perspective is completely different from that. And um, I was praying about this and saying, Jesus, what would you have me say about what makes me certain? And uh, I read um, in John's Gospel this week where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And I just wanna say just a couple of things about that. That when I was 10 years old, I was taught and I found to be true that Jesus is the way and no one can come to the Father except through him. And I think from that moment onwards, my life has been built on a different foundation. It's been built on a foundation of forgiveness. And um, I think the difference that that's made to me is that I'm not living my life as a mum or as a wife or as any of those things for what I can get out of it, but I'm actually living my life out of a response of having had so much given to me already. And I think when you flip your life on its head like that, it changes things. I'm, I've been given so much 
that if God never gave me another thing, if I didn't have my family, the fact that he's forgiven me and he loves me and he's given me a hope and a future, he never needs to give me something else. I'm living out of the fullness of what he's given me because I found this way to my true father, my father in heaven. And I think that does actually change everything. My life isn't about my hopes and my dreams. It's actually about what Jesus has said he's going to do and watching that unfold and the excitement of the journey that he's taken us on and as a mum it means that my primary job really my primary response is to show my children the way to the father the same way that my mum and dad showed me the way to the father the same way that other people around me who cared about me showed me there was a god who loved me and i think that has as a mum that's changed everything that that's my first job with them is if i can show them to the father and they can trust the father then they will never want for anything even though life might be difficult Jesus also said he was the truth, and Matt's covered quite a bit of this already, but life is uncertain. It is, and uh, one of the things that Matt often says to me is we, we have to learn to control the things that we can, which is our response to situations, but we can't control everything. There are some things we can't control, and we just have to hurl ourselves on God. So as a family, we have known difficulty, and we've known sickness, and we've known moments where our children have said the most unbelievable things where we've really been concerned about them and it is scary you, you look at life and you think parties are scary and you, Matt was saying you know partying is one way to go but it's scary you kind of don't want your kids to go to some of these parties and you don't want them mixing with certain people and you're worried about what the world might do to them especially as we have daughters but but actually, whatever heartache or whatever hardship comes, if you really believe that Jesus is good, you can lean on that truth and you have to find Jesus' words in those moments and cling to them. And, and we do lie to ourselves. You know, our, our primary responsibility as mums is not that our children are protected and cotton wool wrapped from everything. You can't do that. It's impossible. So actually our response is, are they equipped so that when difficulty hits, they still know what the truth is? And there have been many times when I've said to my girls when they've been desperately unhappy, I can only give you the truth. I can only offer you Jesus loves you, he is enough for you, he will be able to get you through this, that's all I've got, I don't have any other resources, but do you know what, that's more than enough for them. And the other thing that's really helped as well is that you, in those moments when there's lies going on in your head, the best thing you can do, and whether you're a mother or not, if you're in difficulty, the best thing you can do is surround yourself with people who know the truth. Because when you can't hear it, or when you're reading it but you're not feeling it, you need people around you who will pray for you. And I'm so blessed to be part of this church where there are people who will do that for me and will say, Grace, you're not listening. That's not the truth. That's not what God says. God has good plans for you. God will help you through this. And I think you need that sometimes. And in order to do that, you've got to be in the room, haven't you? So I think that temptation sometimes to withdraw and hide away, um, I've had to fight that. And I think we need to fight that together. And remember, surround yourself with people who know the truth. And so the last thing I would say is that life, Jesus offers life. 
and it's abundant life. It's not life as the world knows it. It's life that is secure because Jesus is a rock. And um, I want my kids to experience that fullness of life wherever that takes them. And that's not life without difficulty or life without hardship, but it is life knowing that if you know that life is more than what we just have here and now, it does, it lifts your gaze. Because um, I remember somebody years ago getting a ball of string and taking the whole ball of string around the church, zipping it in and out of people, and it was a huge piece of string. And he got a felt-tip pen, and he just coloured the end of the, the string. And he said, that dot at the end of the string is, is your lifespan on earth. The rest of it is eternity and what God is planning. And I think sometimes, like Matt was saying, you feel like when you're in difficulty, it's going to go on forever. But it doesn't. It's like you think the stage of sleepless nights is going to last forever. It doesn't. It goes, and suddenly they're leaving. Your children are leaving and growing up, and it goes very quickly. And God's plans are so much bigger. They're so much more than we could imagine. And if you think that life is more than just here and now, I think that's a positive thing. It can be a really positive thing that undergirds you. And so I just encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, he is worth getting to know. Once you've found your way to him, it changes everything. And if you want to know any more about that, I'd be very happy to talk to you and pray for you. Let me stand together and pray. Jesus said, uh, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words remain forever. Let's, we've heard the word of God today, we've heard the words of Christ. Let's lay hold of him. Many of us in this room know him, know him to be our rock. We can lay hold of him again, express again our trust in him. Might be that you don't yet know him and you, want to, you know that you need that security in your life. You know you need to lay hold of something which isn't going to get swept away when the storm comes. And as we pray, I'd invite you to, to reach out to Jesus and uh, invite him to come and make himself known to you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are the one whose words remain. Lord, thank you that as we look around us now, as we see the trees coming into leaf in the world around us, it's a sign. Summer's just around the corner. And Lord, even as we see things in the world which scare us perhaps, which uh, are unsettling, which are frightening, Lord, we see these things as signs pointing to the greater certainty that the kingdom of God is going to break in that Jesus, you're going to do what you promised. Your words are true. That uh, you will recreate the earth so that it is not spinning endlessly into conflict and chaos, but is held by you secure and safe. And uh, where peace is real and experienced and not just an abstract concept. And so, Jesus, we choose today to listen again to your words, to lay hold of you to place our feet on this rock and find in you our hope and our help. Amen. Amen. Just one other thing. I think I said first Friday, this Friday. It's not. It's the Friday after, isn't it? So we're not gathering to pray this Friday. It will be the Friday after.